Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Caroline Gonzalez. We'll be joined later today from our own John DeShazer out there in Seattle. But we're coming to you live here at the Oshner Sports Performance Center in Studio B. A big game for the Tulane Green Wave last night. I did not go to the game, but I know our producer Daniel went to the game and enjoyed all the benefits of the Tulane atmosphere in the Glacier Club. Um, you know, obviously Tulane had a big comeback win over Houston last night, and I, I think a good uh, start to the year for the Tulane Green, Green Wave. So, of course, as a New Orleans uh, local now, I can say that, uh, happy to see the Green Wave off to a good start. Uh, we're going to get into fantasy football in today's show. As I promised on Wednesday, we're going to have our Fantasy Football Fridays continuing this week into the rest of the year, hopefully with our own Derek James uh, here in the Saints office. He'll tell you who you need to add, who you need to take away from your your fantasy football roster, and we'll get into all of that. All right, enough of me. Let's go ahead and go to our own John DeShazer out there in Seattle. J.D., our listeners are dying to know, uh, did you go see the Whales this week? Uh, no, I did not. Oh. Um, I was told by locals, no, we were told by locals that this was not the best time to go watch the Whales. Maybe they're a little bit shy. I don't know. Maybe they knew they were. I was coming, and they got intimidated. But <laughs> uh, no, no whale watching, unfortunately, for for this group. So, what did you do with all your free time down there? I mean, you've been in Seattle for a week. What have you been doing out there? Um, well, technically, we're in Bellevue, which is a suburb, maybe seven, eight miles outside of Seattle, but oh, okay. uh, still, it's pretty much Seattle. But for the most part, we've been here working. You know, that's what we do for NewOrleansSaints.com. We just come out here and we put our heads down and and get after it. And, you know, we don't have time for all that sightseeing and, you know, doing stuff that, you know, tourists do and whatnot. We put our heads down and we try to get people information back home. Don't lie to the listeners, J.D. Don't lie. I know you just (laughs) – it sounds good. It sounds good. But, uh, okay, if you don't want to let us know what you did, you don't have to. I mean, to each their own. You know, you're a married man now. Whatever you want to do on your own. I really have not done anything. I've spent more time – I've spent a lot more time in the hotel than I thought I would, to be honest. It's been kind of dreary a couple of days, so there was no reason to get out and about. But, you know, we've been getting around – I mean, you know, there's – you know, nothing to do outside of, you know, work and watch games. So it's pretty much what we've been doing. Gotcha. Well, um, you know, you've been out there at the University of Washington at Husky Stadium all week, giving us practice updates, doing that hard work for NewOrleansSaints.com, of course, as you said. Uh, what are some of your observations from this week at practice? Has anything stood out? I mean, obviously we know the storyline uh, going into this week is Teddy and Taysom, but has anything – other than that, out of the ordinary, stood out to you this week? No, really, the Saints um, have kind of operated the way they always have. Um, Drew Brees set a fantastic example for uh, the entire team about you know how you go about your work and the pace with which you go about your work and those kind of things. And you can see it really permeate throughout the team. You see these quarterbacks uh, moving. Uh, moving everything quickly, you know, it's, it's always tempo when you're talking about when, when Breeze is talking about the offense. Tempo, 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 and you see that tempo, and you see these guys kind of going about their business. There's a there's a confidence in them, and I don't know if it's you know just you know these are professional athletes, so obviously they're they, you know they're at the top of their profession and they have confidence, but I don't know if it's also you know one of those you know people have been you know throwing a little dirt on us and we want to prove a little something wrong to you. You know, you, 
you know, I used to have this running joke with a friend of mine, you know, he was always talking about, you know, who had a chip on their shoulder and who had something to prove and that kind of thing. And, you know, that's a real thing when you're talking about professional athletes. They're always looking for an edge. And this, this Saints team, I think, is, is in that mode where, you know, people are looking at them saying, what can they do without Drew Brees? And I think these guys are saying, you know, you forget that, you know, I was a first-round pick or you forget mm-hmm. that I was a pro bowler or you forget that, you know, we are a high-performing team and we've had, you know, they've had some wins where, you know, Drew Brees didn't play particularly well. So I think these guys are really looking forward to the challenge, not that you ever want to have a Drew Brees out, but I think they're looking forward to the challenge of proving exactly, you know, what they what they might be capable of doing without it. I think you're completely right. I think uh, the chip on the shoulder thing is, is correct, and I think even – you know, when Drew first went out in the Rams game last week, we heard, you know, people all over Twitter saying that, oh, they can't do it. They can't get it done. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and I think a lot of these guys, like you said, have something to prove. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater before the knee injury was a great quarterback, a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. And I think he is excited to prove that he has that in him still. Well, I mean, people, have, you know, I've, I've you know, Maybe reading Twitter I, I, is something we all should stop It's dangerous. Doing for a yeah, while. it's dangerous. But, 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 but to see the, the level of, I don't want to say vitriol, but you know the way people are jumping and smacking around Teddy Bridgewater as if Teddy Bridgewater has never played an NFL game right. or, or as if last season's finale against Carolina was a true representation of what he can do uh, on the field, I, I think – you know, sometimes you just want to step back and say, folks, you know, the coaches watch these guys practice. They go by what they see in practice. There's a reason they're trusting Teddy Bridgewater uh, to run this offense. Uh, he can do some things. He's got a real lively arm. That's the thing you keep hearing about, you know, from his teammates and from his coaches is how strong his arm is, which leads you to believe that maybe – uh, there might be a couple of shot plays here, here and there, a few more shot plays. Now, of course, they're going to have to protect better than they did last week. But, you know, he seems fully capable of running this offense. He seems fully healthy from that devastating knee injury that he had a couple of years ago that really sent his, sent his career back. Um, but he seems fully healed now, and this seems like an offense that can be catered or has been catered to his strengths. So, you know, we'll get a better representation of what he can do as he's out there, is, is a one-game sample against Seattle going to be, you know, the true litmus test? I don't know, and I don't think so. I mean, I don't know that you can judge anybody off of one game, but we do know that Teddy Bridgewater started two years for Minnesota. We do know that he went to the Pro Bowl. We do know that he he helped that team reach the playoffs in his second season. So we know that he has done some things. He's got some skins on the wall, or as I heard one of the Saints say this week, he's got some pelts on the wall, so. <laughs> He's, he's a guy who has performed in the NFL. So, listen, folks, let's see if he can continue to perform in the NFL. I think Teddy Bridgewater is one of those guys, too, that just kind of puts his head down and, and does the work. I mean, you were talking about uh, Marcus Colston a, a few weeks ago and how he was just one of those quiet guys that just kind of put his head down and went and did his job. And I think we're seeing a lot of that out of Teddy Bridgewater. Obviously, we know he's an outgoing guy uh, around his teammates, but you know he came up with the, with the bike dance or whatever last year. But um, I think he's just one of those guys that puts his head down and does the work. And you talk about Sean Payton, uh, such a, a strong offensive-minded coach coach and I think one of the factors that people are forgetting about is that last week 
uh, Drew had the reps with the ones. The game plan was structured around Drew. And I think this week, uh, obviously, the Saints have had time to prepare for Teddy or Taysom to be the quarterback. And now they are creating a game plan around these two. Yeah, that's what coaching is. You find out what a guy's strengths are and you play to his strengths and you stay away from his weaknesses. So, you know, if Teddy Bridgewater is ineffective throwing a swing pass, you don't throw swing passes. If he's good at throwing a deep ball, you throw deep balls. I mean, you play to what the guy's strengths are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and the same thing with Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill is a stronger runner. He's a, you know, he's really good in the run game uh, on the keepers, whether it's an RPO and maybe he'll pull up and throw a pass. You know, we don't necessarily know what the game plan is going to call for, but, you know, you play the guy's strengths, and that's what Sean Payton has been able to do throughout his NFL coaching career, especially as a head coach for the Saints. He's been able to identify what the guy does well and then play to the strengths of what that guy does well offensively. So I don't see why this case would be any different. You don't put a guy out there uh, with the intent to fail. Yep. Last question about Drew, and then we'll move on to everything else having to do with the Saints. Uh, we know we had he had successful surgery out there in Los Angeles. Do you know if he's stayed in Los Angeles and if he's going to stay out there for the game, or do you have you heard any word on whether or not he's going to join the team this week? Yeah, hadn't heard anything on that yet. Okay. Uh, we do know that the uh, surgery was Wednesday and everything went fine, and but we don't know if he's going to join the team or if he's going to go back to New Orleans or, or or what he's going to do, or you know maybe even go. To, I think I know he's got a house in San Diego, maybe go there. But you know, knowing him, it's football season. He's going to want to be around his team. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to be with him on Sunday, but I know he's going to be want to be around the team and he'll be at the facility uh, in short order. Uh, it'll probably be a nice emotional lift for the team to see him because even though. They know he's not going to be playing, and they, they know about the injury. But still, he's the leader of this team. He sets the tone for this team. He has done it for you know every year and every game since he's been with this team since 2006. So you know to see his face would probably be uplifting for the team. And yet, you know they've got to, they've also got the reality that he won't be playing. So mm-hmm. you know you, you go about your business and you put your head down and you see what you can get accomplished without him. But it wouldn't surprise me to see him with the team on the sideline on Sunday, but we just don't have any word on that yet. You know, when news broke that he had a successful surgery, I was reading it on Twitter, and I was at home with my roommates, and one of them is just not sports-minded at all and was like, oh, well, you know, would they ever say if they've had an unsuccessful surgery? And I started laughing. So, J.D., in your 27 years of covering sports, have you ever seen a report or a tweet that anyone has had unsuccessful surgery, and what do you think would constitute unsuccessful surgery? Well, no, you've never seen that initially, but you'll know in the aftermath when a guy's like got an infection or something, or a oh, guy's yeah. like going back for another surgery or something. You feel like, okay, they must not have gotten it right the first time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, but you know, you will never ever see, you know, oh, he had unsuccessful surgery. <laughs> no, the most you will see is there were complications. Right. You will see that from time to time, but you won't see anybody say, hey, the doctor messed this up. So, no. No. Well, thank God that wasn't the case this week. Thank God. Um, So we heard from uh, the defense this week, Cam Jordan, Demario Davis. They spoke earlier this week on their job on the defense, how their job hasn't changed. But we did hear Cam Jordan say that there needs to be – they needed to be better this week than they were last week. Do you think that they've made the adjustments in practice this week to do so? Yeah, I mean, they've – the big thing with the defense so far early this season has been, you know, they hadn't done, done very well in some situations, especially third and long. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, third and three 
or you know the percentage swings to the offense. But when it's third and seven or eight or something like that, you got to be able to get off the field, and that's one of the things that they have not done well early this season is get off the field in some of those kinds of situations. Uh, the the Rams game was was simple. They got outworked. They they got outmuscled, and and you know that was one of the things that disappointed Sean Payton uh, more than anything. The offensive line was guilty of five holding penalties. One of those was declined, but still, you know that that's a situation where you know the other guys are just whipping you, and and you're not getting the job done. So I think as much as anything, yeah, there's some technique things to clean up there, but I think you know there's there's a mental mental part of it that you know those guys are just going to want to not be embarrassed again that way mm-hmm. uh, to have the Rams living in their backfield and then come the next week and have uh, the Seattle Seahawks living in that offensive backfield. So I think from that standpoint, I think they're going to be better. Uh, and Seattle, so far this season, defensively has been a bit vulnerable against the pass. They're allowing 288 yards a game uh, passing. So this would seem to be, you know, statistically and on paper, a week where the Saints might be able to get something done through the air. And yet, if you're the Seahawks, you're saying, okay, there's a new starting quarterback, so maybe we'll just throw the kitchen sink at him and see if he can handle it. Right. So, you know, there are a lot of variables that go into that. But I think, you know, in, in terms of what happened against the Rams, I think they've cleared all that up. Uh, again, some of them just missed tackles, you know, and that's just being more physical, getting the guy on the ground on that Cooper Cup a long reception, 66-yard reception. Mm-hmm. He broke two or three tackles where guys just got to wrap them up and get them on the ground. It might be a 20-yard gain. It might be a 25-yard gain. But that's a whole lot better than 66 yards. So, you know, those are situations where the Saints have to be better. What is going on out there with the linebacker position? I know they placed um, Alex Anzalone on IR this week, uh, but something I was I was looking at is obviously we brought in Kiko Alonso at the beginning of the season uh, in trade for Vince Beagle, but Craig Robertson is a guy that we saw replace or you know substitute Alex Anzalone in his rookie year uh, when he had that shoulder injury, and and I think it would be fair to say that Craig did a fairly good job. You know, Craig Robertson's coming off of a hamstring injury but if he's playing, if he's active, you, you assume that he's good to go. Do you think we're going to see more of Craig Robertson in Alex Anzalone's place, or do you think the Saints are going to utilize one of the other linebackers on the roster right now? I think it probably will be more Kiko Alonso. Okay. And, and as you mentioned, Craig is fully capable of doing that, but he is so valuable uh, as a special teams captain. He's the guy who is on all of those units. And the more he plays in the defensive rotation, the more he plays in the base or the sub, the more it takes away from effectiveness as a special teamer. Mm-hmm. And that's not to, to say he can't still be effective. And he probably will get some snaps at linebacker because he is a guy with experience at playing all those positions, and he's done it well. But Kiko Alonso was brought in for a reason. Uh, and for such a reason as this, he's a, he's a starter in the league. Uh, has been a starter in the league and, and should be able to adapt to starting for the Saints. But, again, Craig, I would imagine, would be the top backup. He, along with Caden Ellis, both of those guys will be out there getting some snaps in that defense. But I don't know if you want to give him out, get him out there for you know, 40, 50 snaps and then have him on all the special teams because that just takes a lot out of the guy. And we saw that actually a few years ago when Craig did have to play a lot in the base defense and he played a lot in the sub-packages. You know, it took away from his effectiveness on special teams. Have you talked to Kiko Alonso at all? I, I have to imagine that he is pretty happy with the trade results so far. Well, no, we hadn't talked to him actually since the initial interview we did with him. But and and probably you know he's been a little bit 
You know, he hadn't necessarily been in the locker room. That's not to say he hadn't been available. He's probably just been studying a whole lot more mm-hmm. and getting himself ready for, for the task at hand. But, you know, really, in most situations, uh, these guys have run these defenses before. So the verbiage is different. But there isn't a whole lot of difference in terms of what you're actually trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. And that's really what takes the most time for a lot of players, is, you know, getting the verbiage down. You've seen it before, but, you know, Miami called it this, or, you know, this team called it that, and now the Saints call it something else. But it's all pretty much the same thing as whether or not you can just adapt to what the wording is. Right, and and speaking of verbiage, uh, I wanted to talk to you about the Saints offensive line because they're going to be playing in front of a very large and loud crowd on Sunday. Um, You know, Teron Armstead spoke about it earlier this week about the crowd and and getting their their calls and hand signals together. Uh, Do you think this offense, and especially the offensive line and quarterbacks, uh, have had enough time to work together and get all that stuff down? Yeah, I mean, they work on crowd noise all the time, and they definitely have to be prepared for it here. Uh, a lot of that has to do with, you know, how effective they can be in, in the silent count and, and those kinds of things. But a lot of it has to do with how effective you are uh, in terms of putting yourself in position to, to be successful, you know, successful plays. If you're having successful plays, if you're, you know, first down and you get eight yards on second and two, that's going to quiet the crowd down a little bit. And mm-hmm. If you're able to get a lead, and, you know, that's going to quiet the crowd down a little bit. Yes, they're going to be loud because they love the Seahawks, and it's a loud venue. But the more you put yourself in position to be successful, the less the crowd is a factor. It's harder to do on the road, obviously. That's why every team likes to play those home games, and especially teams like the Saints in the Superdome. They love playing in front of their people. Uh, Seattle here at CenturyLink Field loves playing in front of its people. But, you know, if you're successful, if you get some things going on offense, then you'll be able to kind of quiet them down a little bit uh, at, in, in those terms. And then defensively, you got to be able to get off the field. you got to be able to control uh, your, the situations, especially when it's third and long. Again, you, you want to get them in those situations and then get them off the field, and that will keep the crowd level down a little bit at least and make it a, little bit, a lot more functional for a team. In the words of Sean Payton last weekend, the the Saints offensive line was just crushed last week um, up front. And, and, you know, as I said earlier, you spoke to Teron Armstead. Do you think uh, that the offensive line has gotten back to their formidable front that they were uh, at the end of last year, beginning of this year? Oh, yeah. I mean, because, you know, they're grown men. and You don't want to (laughs) be embarrassed. You don't want to have your coach, you know, calling you out after a game. You don't want everybody looking at you as being one of the primary reasons that the team didn't function well offensively or one of the reasons the team didn't win. You want to be a strength, and this and the offensive line on this team has been a strength for a long time. And so, you know, to have that kind of game. And look, let's, let's be honest here. The Rams have a really good defensive line, mm-hmm. really good. Aaron Donald and Michael Brockers, and Dante Fowler Jr. and those guys can make a lot of offensive lines look bad. But just because they can make a lot of offensive lines look bad doesn't mean you want to be the one, the one that looks bad. So they uh, are in their pride right now. Um, they are really ticked off about the way that result came, uh, what happened on that field against the Rams, and they want to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And generally for the Saints, those kinds of results, uh, offensive line-wise, where they, you know, where they've been – you know, pretty much dominated. Those hadn't happened on back-to-back weeks very many times 
under Sean Payton. And I don't think this is going to be a week where, where it happens. Well, J.D., I'll, I'll let you get back to all of your adventures in the hotel in Seattle. But uh, our Seat Geek question, and it's kind of a two-part question, for the Saints offense, what would you like to see out of the Saints offense this week? More running, uh, passing the ball, what, what would you like to see? I want to see them run it because that would mean they're you know, being physical. That would mean they're controlling the clock. And both of those things, I think, are critical on the road. You know, not yet. If you can, if you can get a – 80-yard touchdown pass or a 75-yard touchdown run on every possession, you'll take that. But you know, a lot of most of the time, you want to be able to control the clock, keep their defense on the field, wear them down, convert those third downs, and a lot of that has to do with successfully running the football. And with the Saints, successfully running the football sometimes looks a lot like screen passes, screen passes, and swing passes. You know, little long handoffs to the running back. So that can constitute a successful run game sometimes rather than, you know, just between the tackles and that kind of thing. But you do want to see them run the football a lot better than they did against the Rams. Second part of the Seagate question, defense. What is the key for the Saints defense going against this this tough Seahawks offense? Well, I mean, they rush, the Saints rush the pass, and we know they're going to do that. Uh, they've got nine sacks in the first two games, So we and Russell Wilson's been sacked eight times already in the first two games. Seattle, so you know, I think there's going to be some sacks to be had, but they just they need to get off the field on third down. Uh, if it's third and five or above, they need to find a way to get off the field more often than not, uh, and not allow those chunk plays, which you know they've allowed us of in the first two games. They got to keep those plays down, keep them to a minimum, and be able to get off the field on third down, and hopefully that's something that they're able to accomplish. Well, we'll have to see on Sunday. J.D., I haven't spoken to you uh, since the game last week, but I did have to take your place on the expert analysis presented by Microsoft Surface. Did you watch it? You can tell me. Uh, No, I'm sure. Come on, man. Come on. I was really hoping you watched it. You could give me some feedback. But, of course, you know, you don't support me. It's fine. It's fine. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I haven't had time to watch it because we're out here gathering information from New Orleans. Oh, yeah, and you're just, you know, walking around the hotel and just whatever, whatever. We're just trying to do the best job that we can for the people who are watching, and, we, you know, we don't have time to be looking at expert analysis and whatnot. Don't lie to our listeners, J.D. (laughs) Don't lie. All right, J.D., well, enjoy the rest of your time out there in Seattle. Uh, Looking forward to having you guys back, and uh, good luck this week. It'll be good to get home at some point in time, but hopefully we'll come back with a win. Thanks to John DeShazer for joining us. All right, now we're going to talk to Derek James for a little Fantasy Football Friday. Derek, I asked everyone in the office who was the best person on Fantasy Football, and I've had probably three or four people who told me that you were going to be the guy to talk to. Uh, So thanks so much for joining us on today's show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what your role is in the organization? Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for having me. Um, so I've been with the organization since 2005. I, I'm currently in a, the position of director of ticket operations. Um, I came on during the Katrina season. Okay. Wow. Uh, so I've, I've seen a, seen a lot, a lot of good, a lot of bad mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, but right now things are obviously obviously up uh, with the team. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks uh, for coming on the show. Like I said, so Derek, how did you get into fantasy football, and what made you such a diehard participant into it? Uh, so I, I started fantasy football around 04 slash 05. Um, I had a friend that introduced me to it. That friend is from New Orleans. He got into a league with a group of guys from Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was, I think, f- eight 
eight guys from Miami, four people from New Orleans. Uh, we we got an online league going through through Yahoo, mm-hmm. um, and it, it just kind of blossomed from there. Um, obviously, with that setup, a lot of Saints and Dolphins got overdrafted a bit, mm-hmm. uh, but over the years we've 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 kind of curtailed that. We and we still have that league running to today. So um, early on, it, it was just it became very very evident to me that this was something very fun to do, a little side game to do while you're watching the game. So I'm a diehard NFL fan already. This is just kind of a little something on the side to make it even greater. Yeah, absolutely. When did you start realizing that you were good at it? Was there, you know, some growing pains in realizing that, oh, maybe this isn't the best route to go, maybe I need to change up this next year, or were you always good at it? To tell you the truth, uh, that first year that I joined it, I made it to the championship game. Um, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't want to toot my own horn or anything. It's okay, I, you but can. I, I, you think can. I, <laughs> I think I realized that, that I, every year I've been – either good or right there on the borderline of making the playoffs. Okay. Um, and a lot of that comes from just from my knowledge of football, um, but also just being a participant, being a, an active participant with the leagues we, every single week. Yeah. Um, I, a lot of times what I tell people is that everybody's kind of drafting the same. At the end of the day, everybody's going to like their team after the draft. Mm. What wins those leagues and what makes you a good player is knowing what to do from week to week, paying close attention to things that are going on, yeah. making sure you're managing your roster well. Do you think uh, you said you, you uh, have a wide knowledge of football? Did you play football at any point? Do you think that's added to your expertise in fantasy yeah. football? Yes. So I uh, I played football in high school. Also played in college. Okay. Um, so, but my base knowledge comes from the NFL. Watching the NFL. When I started watching football when I was seven years old. Um, my, my dad was a truck driver, and uh, while he was making his runs, what he would have me do was record the games for him. And we had the old school VCRs. <laughs> I had to pause the tape, make sure that we're not catching commercials. So I had to pay close attention to the game. Right. So I fell in love with it at an early age. Um, and I'm also a guy that I'm very detailed with the stats. I, I like keeping track of stats. Um, I like keeping track of off-season movements. Hmm. Uh, so I'm, I was already in that mind frame of, of being in that free agency mind frame, trades, always looking for things like that during the offseason in real life, and that's kind of uh, translated over into fantasy. Are you just uh, fantasy football, or do you participate in fantasy basketball, golf, baseball, anything like that, or is it just football? Strictly football. Okay, okay. I have to be honest with you. I'm not a fantasy football expert. Uh, I just started playing last year. I think someone in the office kind of coerced me into starting to play, and I I tried to pay attention as much as I could last year, but uh, I wasn't very good at it. And then this year, I do have to say I'm 2-0. Nice, uh, but nice. I, I, did the, I did the auto draft and, and everything like that, so I'm not super into it, but I'm trying to get a little bit into yeah. it uh do you despise people that that do auto draft um i would say despise is probably a strong <laughs> word but um auto draft to me it it could be a little tricky because the algorithms that they have in place on these websites sometimes would draft somebody that that's inappropriate for that particular slot so, How so? Uh, you might find that they might pick a defense for you in round four right. or they might pick pick the third or fourth best receiver in the first round way too early, something like that. So a lot of times it could throw things off if if you're somebody that's really studied draft movement and how a draft is supposed to look. You might have monkey wrenches thrown into that draft. And also, at the end of the day, or once that draft is done, 
you're probably going to have to hear from that person all year long yeah. about about the team that they didn't pick. Right. If if the, if things don't go their way. Right. So, um, I prefer to have a league where everybody is present and all three of the leagues that I'm in, if somebody's missing, we just straight up won't do the draft. We'll, we'll wait. Are you, you said that you started on Yahoo. Have you kept on the Yahoo platform or have you gone over to the ESPN flat platform? I'm on both. So okay. I have two leagues that are with Yahoo, which are the classic 12 team PPR snake draft leagues. Okay. I also have a league that's on ESPN's platform. And in that league, it's an auction keeper league. 12 team PPR how do you manage them all I mean I can barely keep up with my one I mean I'm not as invested as you are but how how, how do you manage it all and and do you find yourself checking your phone like I check Twitter like multiple times a day mm -hmm. to tell you the truth with that um that answer's kind of evolved over the years I've had a couple kids uh yeah um and also you know household responsibilities promotions at work those responsibilities going up so time is a little less than it was back yeah. in my early 20s uh but it's really just a matter of setting aside that hour or two each week to really grind, look at your team's roster, look at other teams' rosters, look at your week-to-week -week matchups, and look at the players that are available. Make sure that you always have the best number, of, you know, the best players on your team at all times that you could possibly have. For someone like me who doesn't necessarily do all the research that I probably should into fantasy football, where do you get all of your research from? Do you just go on to ESPN Fantasy? Do you read uh, different sources? Is there someone specific, like a writer, that you like to listen to or, or read their articles? No, I don't have a specific writer. I, I kind of I honestly trust my own judgment, okay. but my, my main source of info, if, if, I, if I want the latest info on a particular player, mm -hmm. is Roto World. Okay. So I would literally google the player's name and put roto world at the end of it and look at his latest roto world entry and mm -hmm. that website usually does a pretty good job of making sure that that player's profile has the latest news any news that has transpired over the course of the day gets put on that website so it's it's a good good source for me easy enough uh, you talked about the draft and obviously we're a few weeks away from the draft but uh you talk about having your your specific positions for each one let's go one through four, what what should someone pick first? And then through four, what should they do? Uh, what should they prioritize? Um, I would say that's a that's a loaded question okay. because um, it depends on your draft slot first and foremost. Okay. It also depends on your own personal philosophy. If I'm picking at the top of a draft, mm -hmm. this past year you're kind of locked into a certain group of players, uh, say Quan Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, or Alvin Kamara. Mm -hmm. Historically, I'm not a guy that likes to pick running backs early, but in two of my in yeah two of my leagues, I w I had the a top three pick, so I, I I pretty much knew I had to take one of these running backs because if I don't, I'm I'm not getting a proper value for those draft positions. Right. Um, but if I'm saying I'm in the middle of a draft, or towards the end of the of the of the pecking order, mm -hmm. I believe very firmly in what's called the zero running back philosophy. And what that means is not investing too high on running back mm -hmm. because you could usually find a running back later in a draft. And that's also a position that tends to have a lot of injuries. So you could get a, a running back through the waiver wire sometime in, you know, in the first half of the year mm -hmm. that could suffice. So the advantage of doing that is now you're, you're locking yourself into getting a top receiver, a top quarterback, a top tight end, positions that are hard to find great great talent and later on in the draft so my teams would generally look like this I'll have a great quarterback 
I have a great top receiver. I have one of the best tight ends. I'll have a so-so running back at the beginning. But if I'm playing the, the week-to-week waiver wire game properly, I'm going to find a running back that could get me that, that, that solid 12 to 18 points a week that I need uh, at those positions. So, yeah, I, I, I firmly believe that that's the, the route to go, and I've had great success w- with it over the years. All right, Derek. Well, remind me to never be in a league with you because I don't think I want to go against you. <laughs> uh, so when we're getting into the Saints, uh, obviously you have to talk about Drew Brees because he is going to be out this week and who knows how far into the season he's going to be out. But how does that impact people who have him on their fantasy roster? Well, I mean, if you have Drew Brees, then you need to be quarterback shopping, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um it's tough. It's tough. Especially um, right now because there's so many quarterbacks out, right? You have Ben Roethlis- Roethlisberger out, Cam Newton probably out this week. You have so many high-quality quarterbacks who are out right now. Correct. It's a very competitive field, fi- finding a quarterback that that is going to get you a good amount of points in order to win. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as you mentioned, there's guys like uh, Drew Brees out, Ben Roethlisberger's out. So, you need to find – a solid quarterback that has a good matchup each week. Um, there's a couple players I, I have in mind right now. Um, if you're in that predicament, um, that could be available in your league. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. But um, one one matchup I like this week is Kirk Cousins. Uh, he's going up against the 32nd ranked pass offense uh, up in Oakland. Okay. Um, and also like um, Gard- Gardner Minshew. Obviously, he just played a game last week. Yeah. Um, or, or last, last night, night, I yeah. should say. But he's looking like he's going to be a solid quarterback. He's He went into the week with the number one rate quarterback rating in the league, um, and also through three weeks he has the best complete completion percentage of any rookie quarterback in league history, which is which is outstanding. He, and he has a very natural way of, of, of throwing the ball around. He's not afraid to take chances, mm-hmm. throw pass towards the end zone. Um, and – Another thing I like about him is he, he uses his legs well. So you might got, get five, six uh, points per week just from him running the ball. Yeah. Um, so another player that I like is Matt Stafford. He's going against the 31st-ranked uh, Eagles defense this week. Okay. He's kind of due for a big game. Uh, so that's that's kind of what you have to do considering that a lot of guys don't draft a, a, um, a backup quarterback especially if you, have, if you have a guy like Drew Brees whose bye week is until later into the year. Mm-hmm. So you're scouring that waiver wire. You need to pay attention to matchups and that quarterback's past performance. You're not going to find somebody spectacular. You're looking for a solid 20-point guy. Are there any positions other than quarterback that you're looking at this week to kind of outshine others, running backs per, maybe, or, or anyone else that you're looking at specifically this week? Yeah. Uh, one thing that I, tend, I, I pay a lot of – attention to that's a great segue uh, going from the backup quarterback conversation to this is you look for guys that are backups that are going into starting positions who have solid number three and number four receivers gotcha um what what tends to happen is these young quarterbacks that are taking these second team reps they're taking these second team reps with the number three the number four receiver Mm -hmm. so they're building up that practice rapport with those guys and a lot of times that translates into the games. Uh, look at Gardner Minshew's rapport with uh, with uh, DJ Shark. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, Shark has 277 receiving yards, I think three touchdowns already. And I think he went for four 
catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown last night. He and Minshew had that rapport from the preseason, from training camp. Um, so a couple of guys I like this week are James Washington out in Pittsburgh. Uh, he's a guy that's their number four receiver. Yeah, he, uh, he caught a couple passes last week, but I think he's going to take a big jump this week playing with Mason Rudolph. Okay. Another guy that I like this week, I think we need to pay close attention to Austin Carr with New Orleans. Hmm. So obviously we're going to have to play uh, Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill at quarterback this week, according to coach. Uh, we have a couple of injuries at receiver with Trey Quan Smith and Keith, um, also Keith Kirkwood just went to IR. Yeah. Austin Carr all of a sudden is elevated into that number three receiver role. So – he has a rapport with our backup quarterbacks just from practice reps. Don't be surprised to see him catch a lot of passes out of the slot this week. I like that. Um, obviously, I don't have any type of insight knowledge to our game plan right. or, or if that's completely out of what Coach Payton plans to do this week. Mm -hmm. But just from a pure outside uh, fantasy analysis perspective, I think Austin Carr might be somebody – keep an eye on this week and all of this isn't necessarily stuff that you said you know you don't really do a ton of research and stuff like that obviously you said you go in roto world um but it's just more paying attention for you right like this austin carr and teddy bridgewater thing obviously you're inside our organization so you're going to know a little bit more about that than than other people in outside organizations mm -hmm. but it's just you paying attention to to themes and and things going on uh in the nfl world right absolutely absolutely i, I rely on, on my a lot of my own I don't, want to say, I don't want to say scouting work because that would, I, I appreciate what actual scouts do. Mm -hmm. uh, but just paying attention to, to the game, pay attention to preseason. Uh, James Washington with Pittsburgh had a phenomenal preseason, I thought. And he really looks the part. So I think he, he's due for a big boost. Uh, but, yeah, to answer your question, a lot of it is just paying attention to football. Yeah. I, I don't really need – to hear from the fantasy expert all the time on, on things if, if, if you're if you're paying close attention to the game have you ever thought about like starting your own blog and writing about it i, I mean have, you're kind of doing it now on this podcast but have you ever thought about doing your own stuff i have thought about it um i haven't really looked into the research or on as far as restrictions mm -hmm. oh yeah on what i can do Fair as, as a representative of the, of the organization but yeah that would be something i I have I have thought about before. Hmm. Uh, last question before I let you go: How long of a grace period would you say that you give players before you kind of get them off your roster? How many weeks of of bad reps do you give them until mm -hmm. you kind of let them go? Um, that's another loaded question, but a lot of that has to do with investment. What have you invested in that player, mm -hmm. and also past performance? Is there an expectation that this player that's off to a slow start could redeem himself? down the road here um a lot of times you can get caught up in what's called the sunken cost fallacy which is an investment term um what that means is you've invested a lot into a player so you kind of feel the need to stick to that player and, and continue to stick stick with him despite him being a detriment to your team um but if it gets to be that third week that fourth week and he's really not doing anything you might even be sitting on your bench at this stage. Move on from them. Right. And also move on from them if it makes sense. Move on from, from him if there's a better player available. Um, one of the, I talked about earlier looking at your team every single week, making sure that you have the best players. You always need to make sure that you have the best players on your bench. So I'm constantly turning over my bench. 
looking for that that next gem, that next diamond in the rough. Um, so it, it all kind of goes hand in hand with with your question. So if, if there's a guy that's sitting on my bench, getting single digits every week, right, doesn't have that past performance expectation that he's going to jump out in a few weeks or or you know in the near future. Mm-hmm. Look for the, somebody else that's on a waiver wire or the free agency wire to replace him. All right. Well, after uh, this show, I think I'm going to have to give you my phone so that you can update all my roster for this week. Nice, uh, that'll nice. do it for our first Fantasy Football Friday. Hopefully we'll uh, you know, get in stride a little bit as we, as we keep going. Thanks to you. I know this is probably out of your comfort zone being on a podcast, so I appreciate you uh, hey, coming on the show and talking. Hey, no problem. I, um, I, I have my, uh, my degree in broadcast journalism oh, right, back right, in right. 04, so... Uh, it's about time after 15 years I, I get to put this to use a little bit so I look forward to, to uh, future podcasts of course well we'll continue this every Friday if you have any questions specifically for Derek be sure to tag a- at Saints Pod on Twitter and ask those questions and uh, we'll get rolling a little bit thanks so, so much for joining us Derek alright thanks for having me thanks everyone for listening to today's show again thanks to John DeShazer and Derek James for joining us hopefully JD will watch my video soon and hey maybe you can watch it too uh, we asked John DeShazer our question from SeatGeek earlier about the keys to the game for the Saints offense and defense. SeatGeek, if you're trying to find tickets to football games or any other live event, it can be complicated. There's hundreds of sites and shady pricing, but with SeatGeek, you can do everything in one place. Search for and discover the best deals on seats, buy from any device, and sell and transfer tickets in just a couple taps. With their deal score technology, they rank the most valuable seats based on price, location, historical data, and more. Plus, every purchase, excuse me, not purchase, purchase is fully guaranteed, so you you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, our listeners will get $20 off their first purchase when they use the SeatGeek app. Use code GOSAINTS at checkout. That is code GOSAINTS without any spaces at checkout. SeatGeek, let's go. Again, we get into fantasy football with uh, with Derek James, or we got into fantasy football with Derek James. We'll c- try to keep that a little bit shorter in the weeks upcoming. We'll kind of get into more of the nitty-gritty having to do with fantasy football. But, of course, we wanted to introduce him and let you know who you're going to be hearing from on a weekly basis. That'll do it for me. Make sure you watch the Saints this Sunday as they take on the Seattle Seahawks on Century Le- at Century Link Stadium. Uh, that game will be on CBS. You can watch locally on W. WWL Channel 4. Again, that game is at 3.25 p.m. Central. You can watch it with Jim Nance, Tony Romo, and Tracy Wolfson. Uh, as always, you can listen to the game on WWL 870 AM with Zach Streif and Deuce McAllister. For Caroline Gonzalez, that'll do it for the New Orleans Saints podcast presented by SeatGeek.